Welcome to my monthly podcast titled Becoming a Sage. My name is Jan Freed, but you can call me Dr. Jan. I interview people about wisdom, how to find meaning on a daily basis, a concept I call breadcrumb legacy. I'm passionate about helping people get from where they are to where they want to be, particularly in the second half of life. I do this as a leadership coach, speaker, teacher, workshop facilitator. I also say I'm out to retire the word retirement. We're not retiring from life, but we're moving on to something else. And I believe it takes time and intentional thought to successfully move on to what's next in life. I actually talk more about living your best life in my latest book that just came out in January of 2023, Breadcrumb Legacy, How Great Leaders Live a Life Worth Remembering. If you go to my website, janfreed.com, there is a 20% discount code from the publisher. I interviewed Dr. Michael Lewis. Michael is an orthopedic surgeon and former consultant to the Chicago White Sox baseball team, Chicago Wolves hockey team, and the Chicago Bulls basketball team, with whom he won two championship rings. He previously served as chief of staff at North Shore University Health Systems Skokie Hospital and received a Best Teacher Award from Chicago's Rush University Medical College. Michael is not only a doctor, but an author, photographer, lecturer. For more information about Michael, please refer to the bio attached to this podcast. I actually met Michael online when he wrote a guest post for Chip Conley's Wisdom Well blog. If you listen to my podcast or, or are a member of my Facebook private group called Becoming a Sage, you know I'm a big fan of Chip Conley's. In fact, he has a new book coming out and he published a book last year. Now listen to my interesting conversation with Dr. Michael Lewis. We talk about wisdom and much more. Well, welcome to the Becoming a Sage podcast, Michael. Well, thank you, Dr. Jan. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, tell me if I'm right about this, I think we probably were twins separated at birth because we seem to be so much on the same wavelength. I've actually purchased and read two books by you. Wow. Legacy and uh, what is it? Uh, Leading with Wisdom. Leading with Wisdom. I'm honored. I'm honored. Well, to prepare for this interview, I read two of your seven books, uh, Seeing More Colors, A Guide to a Richer Life, and the book Getting Wiser, 101 Life Lessons and Inspiring Stories. So we are, I think, definitely uh, like-minded and in a similar space right now. So um, I'm really honored. So here we go. Um, tell, tell us how you came to focus on the second half of life content that really is about wisdom and very congruent to what we talk about in here about becoming a sage. What brought well, you to this space? Yeah. I've been extraordinarily fortunate in my life to have been at the right place at the right time and to have met some fascinating people such as Abraham Maslow and Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson and so I've been around fascinating people and world-class athletes, and I've observed them at close range and picked their brains about what made them so successful. And like you, my goal is to 
gather as much wisdom as possible and and pass it on. So that's, uh, I think, how we're uh, very much on the same uh, wavelength. Yeah. Uh, I would would mention that uh, a very good friend of mine uh, is named Jeff Tabin, and he uh, illustrates one of the important principles in uh, all of my books. The the two books that you mentioned, uh, uh, Seeing More Colors, is about Abraham Maslow, who uh, uh, was a very famous uh, influential psychologist. And what Abraham Maslow uh, did was come up with a very radical idea. His idea was, uh, uh, well, when I was uh, studying psychology, uh, Freud was the dominant force. Mm -hmm. And Freud studied people who were neurotic and psychotic and formed a a theory about human behavior based on his patients. Abraham Maslow came up with this very radical idea. Let's look at people that you and I would most admire and see if we come up with a different theory of motivation. And uh, he uh, came up with the term Mm self-actualization. These are qualities that people have that you and I would uh, admire that leads to a more successful, satisfying life. Mm-hmm. So Jeff Tabin, one of the principles that that guides him is serving others and uh, being uh, concerned about uh, the the greater world, being dedicated to a cause greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And this is and every person that uh, Abraham Maslow studied uh, had that in common. And Jeff Tabin is an ophthalmologist. He's a professor at Stanford, and he goes all over the world to underserved areas to perform cataract surgery. And so the profits from all of my books go to the Himalayan Cataract Project because for $25 uh, an eye, uh, people can see the very next day after surgery, can, who people have been blind for years can see perfectly. Amazing. So that's one of, the, uh, one of the qualities that's highlighted in Maslow's book. And then in the book, Getting Wiser, that uh, I interviewed 101 people uh, to find out what, and I asked them what, one question, what is one life lesson you would pass on to the next generation? Mm-hmm. There are 18 chapters and 18 different uh, uh, qualities. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so would you like to give me, uh, like me to give you some examples? Well, I do. Well, I'm, I'm going to get to that later, Okay. So I guess I wanted to follow up since you were talking about Maslow. You know, I've known about Abraham Maslow since college, and then I taught his theories for three decades, you know, and I'm intrigued about how he was a mentor and how, you know, in your book, Seeing More Colors, how you integrate his theory with your life experience, including your photography. Um, How did you, how did that book come to be? Because again, you've got great photographs, I mean, they're outstanding photographs. 
And then you're using them to illustrate uh, Maslow's theories um, and stories. And so anyway, yeah, tell us more about that because honestly, um, you know, to know to know somebody who knew Maslow <laughs> is amazing. So go ahead. Uh, well, when I got to to college, this was at Brandeis University. I was a frightened, directionless, insecure eighteen-year-old, and uh, and I met Abraham Maslow, and his and and the theory of self-actualization, the idea of looking at people that we most admire and seeing what their qualities are, uh, this was, it was, to me, it was like finding the Holy Grail. Sure. So I just jumped on the bus uh -huh. and, 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 and have thought about Maslow ever since. And so 50 years later, uh, the book came about. So he, uh, Abraham Maslow was a profound influence on my life. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I actually went to medical school because of Abraham Maslow. Uh, I remember one day I was in his office uh, during his office hours and he looked at me and said, someone's going to make a difference in the field of psychology. Why wouldn't it be you? So it was like a thunderbolt. The great man said that uh -huh. you're going to make a difference. Uh, and he said at the time there was uh, a hierarchy uh, in the field. So the, the uh, psychiatrists were at the top of the food chain. Mm -hmm. uh, now that's very much changed since, but that's how uh, it came about that I went to medical school. I'm sure that he he probably told everyone that came into his office, you'll make a difference. But at the time, it was like being struck by a thunderbolt. Yes, exactly. Right. Like the only one he's saying that to. But yeah, that's wonderful. Right. Well, most people know Maslow. I would say most people have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So um you really take this a step further, but go ahead. Well, that was uh, that was the background as far as uh, Abraham Maslow. Uh, if we look at some of his, by the way, just a follow up to that, I literally went to medical school to be a psychiatrist. And on the psychiatry rotation, I had this wonderful experience with patients and they talked about what a wonderful job I did and how I explained things so well. So I, I came out from those sessions just higher than a, than a kite. Uh -huh. uh, however, the following week, uh, they hadn't listened to my brilliant advice. They were still uh, married to the same person, uh, <laughs> are still drinking, are uh, they hadn't made a 100% uh, life change in one week. Uh, and I was just too uh, uh, impatient and insecure to, uh, to, to, to cope with that. So I literally became an orthopedic surgeon uh, 
to get immediate, you know, to see immediate results. Sure. Uh, if the wrist is broken, you set it. If the hip joint is worn out, you give someone a new hip joint. But the beautiful irony is, is that in every field, as you know, is primarily just basic ideas of psychology and, and dealing with people. Right. Sure. I mean, I used to say when I was teaching management that we're, we're really talking about applied psychology. You know? um, and uh, I'm working with a manufacturing firm now to change their culture. And it's a unionized firm. And let me tell you, change is slow slow and hard and i'm i'm getting impatient but i'm i want to hang in there because i think i can <laughs> i can really help them but um no that's interesting well let's let's talk about 101 life lessons um did you know all those people or how did you yes. get you knew them all okay yes well, these were all people you admired um what are some yeah share a couple life lessons or that are top of mind that you know, or a, a, a few inspiring stories. Well, they're just so, they're literally 101, but I'll uh -huh. share a few. Yeah, sure, uh, of your favorite. One is Thomas Kirk uh, was a fighter pilot in the Vietnam War and was shot down over uh, North Vietnam and was in the notorious Hanoi Hilton for six years. Uh, he was tortured. He was in solitary confinement for two years. Uh, during that time, he, to pass the time, for example, for two hours a day, he would play an imaginary flute. Uh, so I asked him uh, how long it took him to, to forgive his captors. And he said he forgave them immediately. Uh, they were fighting for a cause they believed in. He was fighting for a cause he believed in. And so he went back subsequently and helped them with uh, with forming uh, in, in North Vietnam. So this is, to me, just such an example of overcoming adversity. Mm -hmm. And uh, someone like Thomas Kirk is just made of, you know, uh, a, a different cloth than most of the rest of us, but it's it's really inspiring uh, to to hear his story, and it helps put our own uh, issues into perspective. Well, and that's also a powerful story about forgiveness. Exactly. You know, exactly. that's, that's uh, uh, good. Now I know that you're very much into curiosity and creativity. Uh, yes. And uh, and uh, I am again on the same wavelength with you. Uh, uh, no one has ever confused me with Albert Einstein, except when I need a haircut. <laughs> but both of us are are very curious. Uh -huh. I'll tell you uh, there one chapter is several examples of people who are curious and people who are creative because they go together. Mm -hmm. One to me very interesting person is Bud Frazier, but Bud Frazier is one of the leading uh, heart surgeons in the world. He's performed 1300 uh, uh, heart transplants more than anyone else, but uh, he has been working on an artificial heart. Now, everyone knows that a heart 
pumps. And so a mechanical heart, you would assume, has to pump. But a mechanical heart that pumps will wear out like any mechanical device. So it's not a permanent solution. Uh, but everyone in the field thought along those lines, except Bud Frazier has invented a pulseless mechanical heart. It works on a uh, continuous flow concept, uh, the Archimedes screw principle, and it's been successfully implanted in uh, 50 uh, cattle and, uh, and is working perfectly, and he's awaiting FDA approval to have this transplanted into people, and it could change the world. Wow. Because there are millions of people with heart failure. Yes. So to me, it's just a wonderful example of curiosity leading to creativity and thinking outside, uh, uh, thinking outside the box. Yes. And, you know, what I like about the book is the stories are, they're short. I mean, it's like you could, could all, I mean, you could even like one a day, you know, before you go to bed, it's really inspiring. So well, thank you. Um, a well, lot of I, people have told me that they do that. Yeah. That it, they it, read one or two. It's like a daily reader. Stories I mean, a day. Yeah, right. I think it's great. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit here. Um, I've got a question that I prepared, but then I kind of want to weave it in. I'm, you know, for my listeners who can't see your office, I'm seeing several great photographs and books. Um, I think the photographs are mainly of Michael Jordan but I'm not positive. So um, years ago, you know, uh, I was intrigued with your background, you know, working with all these sports clubs, but particularly the Bulls. Um, I would have my leadership students read Phil Jackson's book, Sacred Hoops. And I loved that book. Um, it was actually when BJ Armstrong from Iowa was on the team. And so I want to ask you about the Bulls, about Michael Jordan. Or I was in a restaurant once in, in Chicago during the Bulls' reign, and Scottie Pippen was in the same restaurant <laughs> not too far away. And so that was kind of, and Dennis Rodman. And then it was kind of fun watching Rodman's daughter play on the women's world soccer, U.S. soccer. Um, you know, I'm going to ask several questions here, and you can go wherever you want, you know. Um, I'd, I'd be interested in the culture of the team and the leadership. Why were they so successful? Um, maybe a few of your stories or what you even thought of the last dance documentary. Um, I thought people were very, uh, it was interesting to see those players, you know, what, 20 years later, um, they don't all get along so well. I don't know. I just wondered, do you have any inside information or whatever you want to share about that experience? All right. Well, I spent a lot of time observing Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson and all of the players and the general manager, Jerry Krause, at close range, uh -huh. thinking about exactly that question. What makes a great leader? What makes a great coach? Uh, and if we focus on Phil Jackson, since you've uh -huh. uh, bought his book, uh -huh. uh, one thing that Phil Jackson brings to the table is uh, credibility. He uh, uh, had his own championship rings as a player. Mm -hmm. He underwent spinal fusion surgery, so he knew how to deal with pain. 
He paid his dues by being an assistant coach for many years. So he had great credibility. That was one important quality. Mm -hmm. uh, he also had very high EQ, emotional quotient. He, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he knew exactly what button to push for each player uh, and in, in the best possible way, how to motivate each person. And at the same time, he knew how to motivate the team. He loved the, uh, the image of the wolf pack. There's the famous Kipling saying, uh, the strength of the wolf is the pack and the strength of the pack is the wolf. Mm -hmm. So in a very long season, uh, especially with the bulls where there was just so many distractions wherever we would go there would be thousands of people waiting you know just to see the players it was like traveling with the bulls was must have been like traveling with the beatles sure mm -hmm. their prime so to so to motivate the individual players and uh the team as a whole was a uh was was a remarkable uh, accomplishment. At the same time, you needed uh, a coach can't do it all. You obviously need the players and you need a leader on the team. And Michael Jordan, there, there are many stories I could tell you to illustrate the point. One was one year they were playing Phoenix in the finals. And they unexpectedly lost a game at home that they expected to win, which would have ended the series. So it meant that they had to go back to Phoenix and they had two games to win one to be the champion. So everyone was getting on the plane, not in a very good mood, carrying their heavy suitcases for the possibility of being there for two games uh -huh. and Michael walks up to the plane with a very small valise and uh and said gentlemen this is all I'm bringing we're not going to be here long enough to you know need to stay overnight suddenly the mood of all the players completely changed and of course he was right they won the next game and it was just to me, a, a wonderful example of leading by example. Yeah, yeah, leading by example and, you know, hope, vision, in, inspiration again. No, that's that's a beautiful story. Well, what about the last dance documentary? Because many of my listeners probably saw that. Um, what were your reactions to it? Well, my reaction was, that uh, it reminded us of how much joy Michael Jordan and the Bulls brought to all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, it was Michael Jordan's version of events. And, <coughs> excuse me, and to uh, sort of hyper dramatize the story. Uh, they made Jerry Krause, the general manager, the the evil empire. I think they exaggerated that point. And 
he unfortunately passed away a few years ago, so he wasn't there to yeah. defend himself. Uh, Jerry Krause uh, didn't look the part. He was short and overweight, and uh, and he and uh, he wasn't good with uh, public relations. But at the same time, I'll tell you a story that illustrated Jerry Krause. One night he was leaving the uh, United Center, the stadium where the Bulls play, uh, and his bags were packed and it was during the playoffs. So I said, Jerry, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Europe to scout a player. So I said, Jerry, it's the middle of the playoffs, as if he didn't know that. Yeah. Why don't you just look at a, at a tape? Uh -huh. So he said, I'm going to Europe to scout the player to look at his body language when he's on the bench and not playing and seeing how he relates to, you know, his fellow teammates uh -huh. and how he handles himself. So to me, it was, it was a, a very good example to illustrate uh, his level of perfection uh, and how far he went. And I think it was important to remember that uh, he contributed as much to the success of the team as as anyone else. Right. He's the one that brought Dennis Rodman to the team. That was very a very controversial decision. He's the one that discovered Scottie Pippen and Tony Kukoc. So the Bulls uh, couldn't have won without Michael Jordan, and they couldn't have won without Jerry Krause. Yeah. So I think. Uh, uh, that that was my major criticism uh, that uh, that he didn't get the credit that he uh, yeah. that he deserved. Well, that's interesting because most people wouldn't, you know, have most of us don't have your background to even know that. So that's great. Well, Michael, I want to shift directions a little bit. You know, I'm passionate about legacy, so I always like to ask my interviewees. How do you define legacy? What's that mean to you? And can you share a legacy story? Well, the uh, how how I think of that is exactly the the idea of getting wiser. What is a what is one life lesson you would pass on to the next generation? Mm -hmm. And my two recent books uh, specifically were trying to. Uh, put ideas initially for my grandchildren to share and hopefully a wider audience. And uh, uh, to answer that question, what's, what's important? Uh, and, and that's why in the, in the recent book, Getting Wiser, there are 18 chapters that list 18 different uh, qualities that, uh, that are important to possess to lead a successful, uh, satisfying uh, life. Yes. Yeah. Well, and actually, every story you've shared is a legacy story. Every every story. Um, so let me ask you this question: uh, You were very kind to buy and and read my book. Um, what are your thoughts on my book in terms of? Uh, what did you find most interesting or thought provoking? Well, I think that 
uh, again, this is why, and, and I think we need to investigate to see if we were in fact twins separated <laughs> at birth. Maybe uh, we could do something together. We could work on something together. There you are. Yeah. Uh, because we're so much on the same wavelength. If I think of uh, your books and, and, and what way, what thoughts we have in common, I think we both understand the importance of relationships mm -hmm. uh, and performing acts of kindness. If I were just to pass one thought onto my grandchildren and anyone else, it would be performing acts of kindness without expecting anything in return. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you a story that I just heard recently that's not in the book, but I can't stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a hairstylist, his name is David Wagner, and uh, he just as a lark wrote on his business card, the word daymaker. And then two years later, after he'd been in business for a while, a regular customer came in, but came in a little earlier than her regular appointment. And uh, he asked why, and she said, I just wanted to look especially nice for tonight. And so he really focused on giving her a wonderful shampoo and a wonderful styling. And a few days later, he got a note from her saying that she actually was going to go home that night and commit suicide. But because he was so loving and in the moment and attentive, uh, she subsequently uh, got help and, uh, you know, got out of that dark place and literally, uh, because of his attention, it literally saved, uh, her life. Wow. So to me, it's just such a powerful example of the impact that each of us potentially has, uh, uh, and, and how important it is to be in the moment. And when I, uh, for a long time, when I compared myself to someone like Jeff Tabin, I realized I couldn't affect the lives of thousands of people. He's performed cataract surgery on thousands of people. And his organization now has performed cataract surgery on a million people in underserved areas. And but then I realized that my job wasn't to compare myself to Jeff Tabin, but to be the best Michael Lewis I could be. Absolutely. And just like in Daymaker, uh, I could still influence one person at a time. Uh, I love Oscar Wilde's quotation, uh, be yourself, everyone else is already taken. Yep, yeah. Which reminds me, you know, your book, particularly seeing more colors, great, great, you've got some great quotes in there. So um, stories and quotes and photographs. Well, we're coming to an end here. And I always like to ask my interviewees, what else should my listeners know that I did not ask? What other words of wisdom do you want to share? Well, uh, to 
reemphasize the importance of relationships mm -hmm. that uh, uh, that uh, there is a fascinating study, a Harvard longitudinal study where yeah. it started in 1938. And these were uh, the Harvard class of 1938. And they followed them literally uh, for the, the last uh, almost 100 years. And they come to a fascinating conclusion, which is it's not money or power our prestige that's important it's your relationships yes and uh i think acts of kindness uh acts of love uh and the importance of relationships would be uh, a point yeah. especially to emphasize yeah no that's great and actually the current director of that study uh Robert Waldinger is uh, from Des Moines, Iowa. So I have to give a shout out because that's where I'm from. So um, yeah, and his TEDx talk is great. Do you know him, Robert Waldinger? No, I don't. No, well, I think it'd be easy for you to make that connection um, just because of your whole background and, and passion. Well, Michael, this is great. My focus in this series is to help people make the rest of life the best of life. So may the rest be the best for you. Thank you so much. I've so enjoyed our time together. Thank, Thank you. you.